Welcome to the Turkey Hunter Podcast, the original all-turkey, all-the-time podcast with your co-hosts Andy Galliano and Cameron Weddington. In our weekly podcast, we're going to bring you some wild turkey calling tips like this. From there, we're going to go into, she's aggravated, there's another hen that's challenged her, or she's challenging another hen, she's going to cut an excited yelp. Advice from old pro turkey hunters like this. The turkeys typically don't like, I think, more times than not, to travel in an easterly direction into the sun first thing in the morning, especially after he gets up. It's a blinding thing. It, it, it's just like you. It's hard for you to see into the sun. Mm-hmm. So if I have a choice, I'm going to try to make it so that I'm going to be on the west side in the morning east side in the afternoon of a turkey exciting live hunts like this holy crap they're coming teach you how to cook your bird with advice such as this with some fresh rosemary and garlic and then cool that off and spread that along the inside of that butterflied turkey breast that we've seasoned on both sides wildlife management tips for your property especially with turkeys like this if you look at the type of habitats that turkeys need for nesting and brooding that tends to be habitat that can be managed more successfully with growing season fire than with dormant season fire. And hopefully along the way, we'll get plenty of these. Well, on November the 28th of 1953, I was attached when I popped out of my mom and the baby doctor spanked me on the bottom. I went, oh, and I've been doing it ever since. <laughs> I like that. Thank you for tuning in, and now, for this week's show. Hello, and welcome back to this week's episode of the Turkey Hunter Podcast. You are listening to episode number 412, Trapping for Better Wild Turkey Hatches, with Chip Davis, and I am your co-host, and the guy who... Just picked up another little piece of turkey ground. All right, congrats. Yeah. I'm your co-host and the guy who's been on the line all week. Yeah, you have, and it may be too early to announce your finding next week when you and I do our trapping episode. It may be a better time because you'll have another seven days under your belt, but some pretty interesting stuff you're figuring out. Yeah, I'm keeping notes on everything, and so I'm going to, we'll talk about that in our episode, but I, I don't know that I'm going to trap another seven days. It's, it, you know, I think I'm going to kind of do bursts <laughs> of it, and so I think I'm going to go through Sunday, that'll be nine days straight, and pick everything up, and then probably move to a different farm in a couple weeks, and, and just rotate that way. I feel yeah. like that'll kind of maximize my catch rate, and give it a little time to cool off, because so, you know, certain coons have triggered things and gotten away and whatnot. So 
need need them to forget things. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, indeed. Did you purchase land, or did you join a club, or did you get a lease? What happened? Or did you sweet talk a little old lady at church? Sweet talked or swindled? <laughs> Both. <laughs> so. Actually, neither of those. So, yeah, I picked up another little lease, and I say little. It's about 410 acres. Mm -hmm. Here's the really bad part about it. So I went and looked at it this morning, and there's turkey sign. Now, it's old turkey sign, but there's turkey sign on it, you know, in, in some places. So that's good. But here's the kicker. With no traffic, it is 18 minutes from my front door. So Dang, that's that is nice. Pretty good. That that's awesome. pretty good. Will it just be you? Turkey hunting? Yeah. Well, I'm going to have to get some members of this quote-unquote hunting club. <laughs> so you better believe there's going to be some heavy, heavy checking vetting going on of any <laughs> potential new members. So as of right now, yes. Because it's me, my brother, possibly my dad. If he wants to pony up some money, obviously he's in for whatever he wants to do in in my book. And we're probably going to look to bring in about two or three more people just to help spread that cost out a little bit. So, And Mm -hmm. it's not that it's a small piece of property, but it's going to hunt pretty big because there's a road that runs through it, gravel road. And it's a uh, public road. And on one side of the road, there's probably, I didn't measure it, but I'm going to guess it's three quarters of a mile, if not farther. And then on the other side of the road, there's probably a half mile of road frontage. So it'll hunt pretty big for being a small piece of property. And, you know, we got deer hunters on there. They don't need to be trouncing around you know, yeah. 400 acres anyway, they need to be getting to a, a spot to sit. And if they want to walk around, they need to walk to their truck, get in, go home and walk around their house. So I yeah. think we can, I think we can hunt more than, you know, 400 acres. Kind of my rule of thumb is about one member per every hundred acres. Yeah. But I think a... we can get away with six on this one. Nice. Well, that's exciting. Always fun yeah. to get new place to go explore and learn. Bingo. Yep. That's what I'll be doing this weekend for at least for a little while. Saturday morning is going and walking some mountains. Yeah. Heck yeah. We'll have fun with that. And we got fall archery turkey season is open here in Tennessee. Mm. Is the bow still in the case? Well, the bow was sold after how horrible (laughs) that went, but the the crossbow is still in the case. I'm leaving it there. I'm waiting until shotgun. Okay. Turkeys are meant to be hunted with a gun. Sorry. Sorry to my bow hunting friends out there, but just not for me. <laughs> Sorry to all of the Native Americans. <laughs> Single projectile weaponry is not, not turkey hunting for me. <laughs> so, Yeah. Well, believe it or not, this may surprise you, that was the first question I asked when I knew this piece of property came available. I said, is it bow only? Mm. The answer was no. So That's I good. said... I'm very interested in it. Yeah, no, that's a that's a big big deal for sure, yeah. especially spring gobbler. But but yeah, so we got another good one today, another trapping yes, episode to wrap it up, a long one, and really interesting story behind Chip's 
property that he'll tell you about. It, it's pretty fascinating. Yeah, it is. You know, that story and Grant Wood's story about his, yeah. people that are that are doing long-term trapping on their pieces of property and, and keeping track of the results, it's pretty impressive to me. So, yeah. yeah. What, do you, what do you think? Do you want to jump in there or do you want to give a countdown first and then jump in? Yeah, so you, why don't you give us the countdown, man? All right. We're at 177. We have now broken 180 days. So a little less than six months. 177 days, 14 hours, zero minutes, and 19 seconds. Nice. That's closing in quick. We're we're definitely getting much closer. This cool weather's getting it. You know, you can tell it's starting to finally change seasons. Yes. No doubt. Uh, let's hop in here and talk to Chip. Let's do it. See you guys on the other side. Hey, everybody. Cameron and I are glad to tell you that we have on the line with us today Chip Davis with Expand a Pan and also Trapping Radio. And we'll talk a little bit about Expand a Pan here in just a few minutes, as well as the Trapping Radio. But I guess probably I've alluded to what this topic is about just by the intro here. We're going to talk trapping. And we've got someone with us who is, and Chip, correct me if I'm if I say this incorrectly, but who is a former president of the Mississippi Trappers Association, and is not only a great trapper and very knowledgeable about trapping, but I hear congratulations are in order because did you just this past season complete your Super Slam? I did. I did. Yeah. Wow. It's awesome. Davis, and yeah, and um, I did. Uh, I completed it this past May. It took 30 years to get there. A lot of hard work and dedication, but a whole lot of life lessons and lessons learned along the the way. And and so yeah, it was it was a really really cool journey that I had a blast doing. Man, that's um, awesome. Yeah, we're I think Cameron's 20 states out. No. Mm-hmm. You're less yeah. than that. You're about 15 states out, aren't you? Yeah, 17 states out right now. And I've got six left. So cool. Yeah. Working in that Close, direction. Closing in. It's absolutely believable. The first thing I know we're not here to talk about the Super Slam, but I would just encourage the listeners that the first thing that you got to do to start this is to start it. You know, you cannot accomplish right. it by dreaming about it. You got to take the first step. Go go to the neighboring state. Go somewhere. You just line you something up. And more than likely, is a good chance that you'll, if you're willing to take the first step, that you'll fall in love with it. And they just kind of fall into place over time, you know. And it's just like anything that's worth doing. It's going to be, you know, it's not all going to be roses. It's going to be some bumps in the road. But, hey, you can you can achieve your goals if you set your mind to it. And your goals does not, does not certainly does not have to be the super slam of wild turkeys. You won in all 49 states. But, it can be whatever your goal is. You still have to take that first step to get there. Yeah, that's exactly right. What was your hardest state, if you don't mind me asking? I usually like to ask people because it's always a different one. It's like for some reason one state just gives somebody fits over another. Well, I'm going to general generalize it for you. Public land, deep south turkey, and I actually have no clue where you guys are from, but public land, deep south turkey, hands down, are the most difficult. I don't really, I honestly don't think it is so much of a southern thing or a eastern wild turkey subspecies thing. 
I think it's a pressure thing. I think that uh, public land, and I say deep south, Mississippi, Alabama, to some degree, Tennessee, um, to some degree, Georgia, uh, but those public land birds in the deep south with every redneck behind every tree <laughs> hunting them, they just get wise. They absolutely yeah. do. They've all done it all. And you've got to be ready to pivot and change strategies and do what you got to do, you know? Yeah. Andy hunts the really easy turkeys in Alabama. And mm-hmm. then I hunt extremely difficult turkeys here in Tennessee, you know? <laughs> I will totally agree with you on that. You cannot get any more difficult as far as the actual one-on-one matchup with a turkey than a deep south public, no doubt. I I totally agree. I totally agree. They just, you know, they call them turkeys. (laughs) Good gracious. I've called them a lot of things, but, uh, you know, devil's bird probably maybe. I'm going to clean it up for this show. But, but yeah, (laughs) it's, uh, they're, they're. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. Tell us a little bit about Trapper Radio. So, and yeah, and let me just a little bit clarify up front. So Trapping Radio is not my podcast. It's a podcast. It's the original Trapping Podcast. It's created by Clint Locklear of Predator Control Group. And uh, Trapping Radio is approaching its 500th episode. Probably all told already in excess of 600 hours of trapping information. It's absolutely free. Literally, trappingradio.com, and you can log on to it and listen. Every single episode is archived. You can go back and listen to each one of them. And so they're on demand. Obviously, you can listen to all 500 of them, and it's not quite 480 or something like that right now. But before the end of the year, we will hit 500 episodes. And what we typically do, a new show airs each Friday, typically. There's a few times that we don't have one up. I didn't start this. I just fill in for them. For the folks that are, you know, can can remember back even six or eight years ago, I, I'm kind of the Laura Ingram to Bill o- O'Reilly. I, I, I fill in some for Clint when he's absent or he has, he's on the road or things. So uh, it's I certainly don't host it. I certainly do not own it. It's just something that... Uh, I love doing, I love our leaders there. They're a great bunch of people. I actually have a voice recorder going on here, so you may even hear this, possibly, depending on how this podcast turns out. You may hear the same exact podcast and recording on Trapping Radio as well. But I would highly encourage you to listen to it. The, the premise of that is we'll take a topic, and it could be raccoons, it could be coyotes, it could be beaver, it could be bobcat, it could even be business, all of which are trapping subjects and trapping related. And we will go in and just kind of go in the weeds on all those. And it still kind of blows my mind that we're, we've been able to do this for 500 episodes and not talk about the same thing yet. So, uh, yeah. So, yeah. The, the original Trapping Podcast that's ever been out there, there's several good ones now, but the, the very first one and the original one, I've learned so much, and my hat's just off to Clint and, and the other guys that host occasionally, that um, Jeff and those guys that, that uh, you know, just super, super great people, uh, good information. You know, a lot of people look for where do I get Trapping Supplies. The sponsors of Trapping Radio are a great place to start. The very, very few sponsors is on just a handful. There's like four, I think, maybe five. And I, I know every one of them personally. You cannot go wrong doing business with those guys. So, yeah, just if, if you're not already exposed to Chapman Radio, check it out. And there's a, a ton to learn there. Uh, I personally, even though I do host it some, 
I've learned volumes and volumes about, you know, habitat, about uh, animal behavior, about whatever. And we'll just take a topic and we'll just kind of get in the weeds with it and, and talk about yeah. everything we can talk where, where are you based out of, Mississippi? That's right. I'm in North Mississippi. That's right. Nice. And when did you catch the trapping bug? Is that something you've been doing your whole life, or all of a sudden you kind of got into it one year? It's kind of off and on. I've got episodes on Trapping Radio about how I got started as well. But the, the, the brief story is when I was in high school, we farmed. I actually, uh, most of my adult life, I farmed. I'm not farming any longer. I did farm 30 years of my life. But my dad and my granddad farmed and all that. And we had a local trapper I didn't know, but he had asked for permission to to trap on, on our property on, that we farmed on. And uh, I think I was actually 14 years old and my dad gave him permission, but he said, hey, look, I got this hard-headed redneck kid and you can trap, but but under one condition, you take him under your, under your wing because he, he overheard our conversation and he, he wanted to go and learn. And uh, so Mr. James Tribble, uh, he's passed away now, but but yeah, he took me and I got bitten by the bug at 14. So I trapped all the way through high school, in through college, and then all of a sudden life started happening. You know, you get married, you have kids, all that sort of thing. And, and long story short, I kind of got out of it some until I started having And uh, by the time my oldest son was old enough to start trapping and going, he wanted to get back in it, and we kind of shifted gears, and I picked up where picked up where I left off earlier, and we continued to roll after that. Even started the business inside of trapping and all that. Yeah, that's awesome. Tell us a little bit about the business as well, because I, I nosed around on your website, did a little stalking earlier, <laughs> and that's a pretty neat product and pretty good idea as well. So tell us about Expand a Pan and how that got started. Sure, sure, absolutely. Well, we started what expanded pan, and you could probably figure it out by this name is, and, and I'm going to speak in very, very, very generalities here to listeners that may not be real familiar with trapping. We can go into whatever we need to, and more than willing to do that. But on average, uh, a foothold trap that most people think about, whether it be long springs or or coil spring traps, has a pan, and that's the trigger. That's what what the animal steps on to fire the trap. And on average, and they do vary, they vary a lot, but the average just say the size of a 50 cent piece. And so what Expand the Pan does is we uh, we basically make either bolt-on or weld-on pans. That's all we do, expand a pan. We expand the pan and we increase the surface area of that pan. We basically fill up the inside of the jaws with trigger. And uh, so anywhere he steps. So the problem was, with every business, there should be a solution to a problem, correct? Mm-hmm. So the problem was you could do everything you're supposed to do, everything you're trained to do, set a trap exactly in a three-inch circle that that animal is supposed to step. And he happens to step between your pan, or call it trigger if you want, and the jaws of your trap. And that happened a lot. That is the problem. And so that is what our business did was create the solution to that. If he steps inside that three-inch circle, he's caught that that's that's literally what we do we went from there we've made pans for body grip traps and different things and we kind of branched out and you know our website is just www.expandapantraps.com you can go to the products page and see all our stuff you can order there whatever it but this is not a used car commercial by any stretch the mm-hmm. neater though is why we did that i've actually had um I was farming at the time, and I was real intrigued into the new technology, especially the CNC plasma cutters that were newly available when we started this. And 
my older son that um uh got two boys and love them both i, I talked about my older son because he was kind of on, on the the forefront of this um but he said it was not a hundred percent but we had kind of a mutual idea at the same time we were toying with the big pan idea we were going to just kind of make them homemade and do them ourselves and the more we got to play in more the more we saw there was a real need in the market and we could do this professionally and at the time i think he i know he's mid high school but i think he was 16 or so years old and of course he adopted the technology especially the computer side much quicker than i did and so we just basically formed a partnership and we said hey this is going this is what we're going to do some of, with his technology some with my direction i said we're going to start a business and 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 you're going to go with me to the attorney's office and you're going to figure out what it takes to form an LLC. You're going to go with me to the CPA's office and you're going to figure out what at 16 what it takes to create, you know, RS forms and to, you know, report, you know, do your your taxation stuff in, at the spring of the year and all everything with business. And I did this more of an education for him. We both love to trap, we both love to hunt and and everything outdoors. But I just saw a business opportunity, and I told him, you know, look, we're going to cover our costs, and we need to pay labor, we need to buy raw materials or steel and or whatever. I said, we're, we're going to take that out of the business, but anything else that's left in this business is going to be here for your education. And I'm proud to say that he graduated with a BS, a RN, a degree in nursing, nice. and is now as a um, as a flight nurse for air evacuation type, you know, medevac mm-hmm. service is what I'm yeah. trying to say. And I never had to write a personal check for tuition, for books, or for rent, or for anything. For I had this whole entire schooling. So if the idea kind of worked, <laughs> you know. So uh, that's rate, awesome. Uh, kind of a cool little backstory. Yeah. 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 Well, let me ask you, as a obvious lover of the wild turkey, do you think trapping helps turkeys? I absolutely do. This is the point that I might be about to ruffle some feathers. Because not only do I think it does, I'm absolutely 1,000% positive that it does. Um, there are some biologists there. Actually, most of the turkey biologists, uh, I don't know what either one of you guys' backgrounds are. I mean, this is the first time we've, we've talked other than a brief uh, phone conversation invite me to the podcast. But I, you guys both both may be biologists. That's fine. We, <laughs> no, we can have a debate. but. <laughs> Okay. Not everything you hear coming from biologists is necessarily the truth. To the list, do your own research and make sure it makes plausible sense before you buy into this stuff. You will hear, absolutely, and I'm not going to name the names because most of the folks will recognize them. You will hear people that say, ah, trapping. Yeah, you made a little bit of good to one nesting hen somewhere, but it's not an effective tool. You absolutely will hear that. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you a story about what we have done. He, um, you know, we talked about my farming days and different things. I had an opportunity to sell the farm in the Delta and we relocated about 40 miles, not far, to a different property. I loved turkey hunt. And in in where I was farming in the Delta region, Mississippi, we didn't have any turkey habitat. But we came to the hill section, which is originally where I grew up and where I was more not in the same place, but not far. And there were a few turkeys around, and um, I'm a trapper, obviously. I, I love to trap, I've been trapping for years. That's also where you messed up in the in the intro. You said I was a good trapper. I'm not a good trapper, but 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 I am a trapper. Um, so I, I wouldn't claim to be good. I wouldn't even claim to be a good turkey hunter either. But uh, I'm, I'm persistent at both of them, maybe. Hey, um, I'll take persistent yeah, every good any day. 
Exactly. Um, but uh, we had, so we displaced roughly seven years ago. And the first thing that I did was two things. I was doing simultaneously. One, I tried to remove any turkey predator that I could possibly remove off this place. And it's all, it's a small place, very, very small. We only have 330 acres. But the numbers I'm about to tell you, most people would gasp at the crazy results. So we did, the first thing I did was try to remove the predators. And let's just dive into that really, really a lot of people, most turkeys that are not trappers, think our biggest threats are our nest predators. And they are a, uh, and mm-hmm. when I say nest predators, I'll even go further in the week. We're talking about raccoons, we're talking about skunks, we're talking about possums. There are a few other fox will, uh, a, a, you know, red or gray fox will raid a nest. They're not quite to the degree of, uh, I'm just, just talking about nest predators, just that. Raccoons are number one, you know, possums are number two, and, and here again, fur bears. And uh, skunks are right there, but so are things like snakes, not even poisonous snakes. I mean, just, you know, rat snakes, are, they get a lot of eggs, too. There's a lot of things that, that you know, attack a turkey's nest. And so I can't really trap the snakes. I hadn't, I, I hadn't figured out that yet. But there's <laughs> other predators, too. Now we're going to step away from the nest predator. And, you, you know, you've got fox, you have bobcats, you've got coyotes. I don't think, and just my personal opinion, I don't think that a coyote is as big of a threat as many people do. I think the most underrated predator for a wild turkey is a bobcat, hands down. A bobcat will kill a turkey at any life stage cycle. He'll kill an adult gobbler. He'll kill an adult. He'll kill a poult with ease and efficiency. He's patient. He can lay in wait. You know, once he he'll pattern them. He there. The to me, threat number one is a bobcat. So I cl- tried to clean up. That, that's a quick, down and dirty, super quick. We can come back to any part that you guys want to come back to, and we can talk about it further. But to me, the first thing I did was address predators in general, and I was across the board because we had gobs of all of them. I'll tell you a little bit of the history about the place. When I bought it, it was a 17-year-old clear cut with natural regeneration. So I had, you know, naturally regenerated oaks and hardwood timber, mixed hardwood timber. There's some pines on the ridges and different, you know, just a variety of southern mixed hardwood, you know, property. And it was grown up and had been neglected for enough. Um, that's how I found it. When I bought this place, that was what it was. The second thing I did was create habitat. And I didn't go in there and just arbitrarily make as many openings, as many food plots, and as many everything as I could. What I concentrated on on was a blend of that. I, you know, I've got three or four 10 to 15-acre openings. I've got, you know, lots of small openings. I've got smaller openings. I've got areas that I leave thick on purpose. I've got is that but the commonality between all of it is I have travelways on top of travelways on top of travelways on top of travelways. My travelways super wide road for turkeys to to navigate through the property freely. You you better enhance their survivability from predation, especially for species like bobcat and fox at, at the at the entire at a 365 day life cycle. Because, you know, if you got a super, just think about this, guys. You got a super, super tight road, especially if you got high banks on some of it, and it's only 15 foot wide. You can barely get a tractor down it. A bobcat can jump all the way across it twice, and, and a turkey doesn't have a chance. 
But if instead you make that road or that, that pathway, that road 50 feet wide with a dozer and a track hoe or whatever, you know, whatever equipment is available to you. And this is, I only did that one time. That was when right after I first bought the property, I did most of my habitat work immediately that first year, you know, and I did have a dozer, did have a track hoe. So I had the equipment at my disposal to do that. And so that's what the first thing is we got our habitat at the same time. I'm, I've got traps in. and we pounded the critters that first year or two. It's hard anymore for to catch a, a, a turkey predator because, yeah, and I always catch, but I have pretty much eliminated my turkey predators from this 330 acres. Now, we, what we're getting now, the reason I always catch, you always have that, 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 um, you know, that creeping in or that spillover effect from the other neighboring properties, other places that do happen. You always have the fill in the gap type population that come. Right. Um, yeah. So those two things now, the results, this is why this a long answer to a very short question, does trapping help? I went from having some turkeys that sometimes I could hear on neighboring property, and those are the two big things I did, and trapping was 50% of that, to last year documented brand new wild turkey poult hatches. We had 108 new wild turkey poults that hatched, different ones, not counting the same ones three times. This year, that was a year ago this past spring. A year ago this spring, without I had two or three cameras die on me, so I don't have quite the data and that I can compare to, but documented the year. We're 96 for 100% positive documented, and I've got two or three areas that still don't have. I'm not there a lot. I don't have cameras to document those. I'm mm-hmm. sure we're equal, if not greater, than we were last year. Over two years, we've got well in of 200 new additions to polls. What does that do to the landscape, guys? And so now let me kind of, well, let me stop. How are you taking the census of your turkeys? Great question. Yeah, it is. It's a really, really good question. So I actually built a house in my property. It's where I live now. And so because I live with, I know that every single day, you know, when I'm making coffee shortly after fly down time, after daylight, and I'm able to see, and you've got the bearded hen and the other single hen, and every single day, you know, from the time that they hatch through mid to, to late August or maybe even early September, the bearded hen and the other hen and their 18 poults are together every single time. Mm-hmm. You know, it, so everything's written down. Everything is a notebook for every single one of them. You know, also you have the single, she's got six poults and, and you see her, you know, at this location or that location, that's the same one. That's the, And you're seeing them multiple, multiple, multiple times. All of a sudden I know that those 18 and those six are totally different. And, and, and it goes to, you know, and then you get location type things that, that, you know, we, we do have, in our population, it was just a genetic thing with wild turkeys. We got a lot of bearded hen here. Not, I'm not going to say anywhere close to 50%. We probably have 25 to 30% of our hens are bearded. So those are easy. And we also have a little bit of color phase change. We've got the, the bronze hen. I think she, she's got actually eight poults herself this year. This is a, a, I see her regularly uh, up and down the driveway between there and the shop. You know, there's other key little things and, and so we 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 really and truly know the clutches more than we do the individual chicks we're now we're taking head counts for the individual chicks and we got so many clutches that you know that because of location and because of how many hands are with and it's the same number you know you're looking at the same clutches every single time you're able to calculate those and then you can simply use addition to to total your pulse there and you know that you're not double counting 
any of them. Does that make sense? And then there's a, yeah. a, another factor. you got early hatches and late hatches. And so maybe you do have an irregular hen, and both of those have, you know, 18 pokes. And now I'm being everything up till now has been factual. What I'm just saying now is hypothetical. But we had one of them say on June the 6th, the first time I saw those 18. And now I'm seeing those in the middle of September. You got to, you can still discern the pulse from from the from the hens, but you really got to look close because there's minute difference now, just because we've had a summer of growth. But we also had a bearded hen, and a and this is the hypothesis thing, but very very similar true things have happened. So you also have a bearded hen and regular hen on the other side of the place, and you knew that they weren't hatched until July the fourth, and and so right now there's a distinct difference, even though you got two hens and one of them happened to be bearded. But you've got some of them were almost grown, and others that are chicken size right now. So, so the size difference, their hatch dates, you you can track that very very well. You know, in addition to just the numbers. So the numbers, the hatch dates, and the hen characteristics, and the locations are all things that go into quantifying these. And then with enough camera data and enough. You know, every time you see these these folks, enough documentation, it's pretty easy to know. Yeah, this is the same clutch, and so what you're doing is counting clutch. If that makes sense. Yeah, I would uh, imagine that's got to be easy. Well, let me say that a different way. I would imagine it's got to be easier, given the fact that you are not losing many poults to to predators to predation. Right. So it's got to be a little bit easier for you to to keep that head count and know. Okay, well this hen and these six poults showed up on this camera on this day at this time and then two hours later here's a hen and six poults and you know if it was a hen and four poults you would say well maybe that's a different hen Mm -hmm. a different set of poults but given the fact that you're seeing them over and over day in day out you know that's got to help with your head count that you got going on let me go just uh, we can come right back to that and that's fine i do think it's probably worthy of noting a couple of things that that i've seen and and go back because i kind of beat up on the ball just a second ago i'd, I'd like to clear that up if we you could. really hurt cameron's feelings by the way he is he is a biologist because he knows what he knows the difference between a man and a woman <laughs> <There you go. laughs> yeah, i, I have is, figured that one out some of the yeah what did mama say you can't say nice something nice about somebody don't say anything at all so maybe all it was far as some of these biologists out there what you'll hear from biologists is trapping is not an effective tool for turkey management and most of these biologists where do they get paid follow the money with anything in life got followed them they're working for the state in many, many cases, or they're working, if it's not for the state, it's some conservation organization, which are great. There's nothing wrong with that, okay? But where are they getting paid? And so just say, because the vast majority of them are working for the state, if they're looking to manage turkey in Tennessee or in Alabama or in Mississippi or in Oregon State, it doesn't matter. Then they're looking for what they can do statewide. And statewide anymore, trapping still exists, and most of our states is a constant battle. Um, and you know, support your trapping groups. Um, you guys had mentioned, yeah, I was president for a couple of terms. The Mississippi Trapping Association still very involved in there. I sit on the, the national board of NCA, which is National Trappers Association. Get involved and support these groups. They're the ones that are keeping trapping legal 
We have lost trapping in new states. Um, there are some states that trapping is not legal. The popularity and how many people are out there trapping, that's a whole different thing. So I'm, I'm, I'm gravitating off point. I'm going to jump right back on, on point. But these organizations, these groups are very, very important to keep this Amen. possibility legal for us to do. So, so they're, yeah. they're, they're cool. They're, they're great. The reason that a lot of these biologists will say that is because trapping is not as popular as it once was, namely because fur is not this valuable. Um, mm-hmm. You know, a, a raccoon today, I'm also an auctioneer by trade. I actually call our fur sale uh, in our state each year. I think last year we averaged around 75 cents, 75 cents, less than a dollar for a raccoon. Wow. Um, wow. When I was strapping in 1984, when I started, we were probably averaging in excess of $10 for a raccoon pelt. And this is southern fur that has less than 50% value of northern fur. We, mm-hmm. we don't have the climate here for this fur to, to prime up. I don't really want to go into all the things, the, the nuances of the fur market. However, I will make the point that trapping for a significant fur trapping for a significant lively avenue is just a thing of the past. Yeah. Trapping is still a lot of fun. Trapping is still very, very challenging. There are some things like the live markets and different things that there's still a lot of value there. You look at a lot of different uses that besides just the fur, yes, there are meat markets out there. Yes, there are gland markets out there. There are a lot of different ways you can capitalize on that. But I understand this is a show about turkeys, not about fur. So we'll just keep it at fur. And only looking at fur, there's a lot of folks that used to trap. You know what, guys? I'm fairly efficient at skinning, although I don't I don't really fur trap anymore. My trapping is more live market as far as when I'm not protecting turkey. But it takes me, as many as I skin, it'll take me three to five minutes to skin a raccoon. And most people, I would hazard to say, if they're a beginner, it's going to take them 12 to 15, if not 20 and then that's just to get the, the fur off of the fur bearer. And then you got to take it to market, which costs. And then you've got to, you know, pay commission to have it sold and all that. And your grand total income off all that is 75 cents. There's not many people that are going to, that, that, that's going to, that kind of margin is going to attract to into, into trapping. Right. However, protecting turkey will, because now you're looking at it from a completely total, you know, uh, white tail dish or thing. But my thing is turkeys. And so now all of a sudden, that's the growth. We have, believe it or not, in a fur decline monetarily. We've seen an increase, but the more management, especially wild turkeys, there's a lot of turkey hunters that have are now saying, hey, you know what? We can do some stuff to help ourselves. We don't have to rely on the state. We don't have to rely on NWT. We don't have to, to rely on, on all this. And those guys are actually rolling their sleeves up and getting skin in the game and they're making a huge difference now i'm going to finish my point up about the biologist the biologist is working for the state and statewide because that's his challenges as well what i just got through iterating is he can't he can't recruit enough trappers to make a difference here's where i'm rebutting him you can't throw trapping the the trapping tool out the window and say it doesn't work because I don't have enough trappers, because I'm living proof it absolutely does work. And his 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 issue is how do you recruit more trappers? You know, and his answer is trapping doesn't work, so we don't have any trappers. Well, what if guys? I just told you my story. I just told you what I've done in less than six years working on this property. Um, or less than seven, just slightly 
and, and I've told you the results and the numbers of new pokes, new re- poke recruits we're putting on the ground. I'm not keeping all those. There's no way I can keep 100 pokes a year <laughs> on 30 acres. They're spreading right. out. I'm making targets for my neighbors. Yep. What if you put one guy every five square miles? What if you put one guy every 10 square miles or even 20 square miles in yep. this huge? You guys know, know what the buzz is now. Our turkeys are gone. Let's blame NWTF. Our turkeys are gone. What's turkeys for tomorrow doing? Our turkeys are gone. This doggone state agency is not doing anything. You know who's at fault? The turkey hunters, they're complaining because they're not getting off their tails. They're staying on the couch watching Oprah, and they're not doing a thing in the world to help themselves. That's our problem. Mm. And that's also the reason that trapping gets a little bit of a bad rap. And I'll finish the point up by saying is trapping is only one piece. It's an integral piece, and but it's not the most important piece of turkey management. And I, we can go into that if you want to. But but that's that's my spiel, and that's that's a long answer. Yeah, I was going to say that your neighbors have to love you, and your neighbors have to hate you all in the same breath because <laughs> you've improved your habitat on your land, so you've made it a place where turkeys want to hang out and stay, not just pass through. But you're also which means that you're, you know, you've got a piece of property you're you're pulling your neighbor's turkeys from, but you also have made it a breeding ground and a good place for hens to raise poults and do that without a whole lot of danger from predators. And so you're spreading that population out to them as well. So they got to love you and hate you in the same breath. You're absolutely true. But, you know, I, I don't know that we pull this off. But the goal would have to be, and, and I guess this is my big disagreement with all, and look, I've got a lot of wildlife biologists are absolutely some of my closest friends. I, I love these guys. I tongue in cheek speak against them when you hear these guys say, oh, trapping doesn't help. So so it, it is tongue in cheek, but um, I do follow along. But I go back to my, what if you put one guy every 20 square miles doing? I think we changed the landscape of, of turkey recruitment and turkey production I think we change it dramatically if we're able to, to do that. And so let's go what more of the, you know, part of the, the my program has absolutely been trapping. It's a real important part. I work with six other guys across the state of Mississippi. We don't have a name. We don't have a company. We, these are just buddies. Several of us were, were in school and college together. It's where most of us met each other. Some of them were acquaintances. Some of them were different things. What we have in common is we're all diehard turkey. We all have a passion for growing turkeys. And look, this is Mississippi is a very, very diverse state. You know, the northern tier of the state is entirely different than the southern tier of the state. The eastern, the hill part is entirely vastly different than the delta, the western part of the state. And mm-hmm. well, there's six guys and we're scattered from the northern counties to within a couple of counties of the southernmost counties. We got counties that border Alabama. And we got counties that border Arkansas and counties that are at least within one county of Louisiana. There's six of them scattered around. And we just simply compare notes. This is our approach in a nutshell. Let's address the most limiting factor. None of us are concerned about white-tailed deer. Now, we all are deer deer hunters, but it's subsequent. Our passion is the wild turkey. That's what all six, all of us are passionate about wild turkey. Every management decision we're going to make is going to affect a wild turkey. And so we start with the most limiting factor. And all of our stories are slightly different. I, I wish we could do a panel discussion and, and have all six of us there because 
you know, met one of my buddies from over in the eastern part of the state, close to you guys in, in Alabama. His his limiting factor was not necessarily predation. It was more habitat. When I first got here, predation, because we were a uh, 17-year-old cutover at the time, predation, mm-hmm. we had more bobcats. I would, you'd think I'm lying if I told you the real number of bobcats that we took off this place for the first two years. Bobcats are one of those species They'll kill a turkey year-round, 12 months out of the year. He's relentless, and you can absolutely hurt him by trapping, namely because they only have two or three kittens per year. They're relatively easy to catch. They're not fearful at all. They're super, super easy animal to trap. And you start putting some numbers of those guys up, and you hurt that population. You hurt it immensely. And all of a sudden, I had my most limiting factor addressed and gone. My other limiting factor, personally, was habitat. We addressed that. Now, that was a one-and-done thing. Kind of like, and I'll always have a maintenance level of, of bobcat predation. I'll always have a maintenance level of nest predation, the whole nest predator thing that we've already covered. But, but and those are other animals moving in. So you got a maintenance level of those. But like my habitat, other than some long terms, which includes things like prescribed burns, uh, that is my, that's where I'm at right now. I'll just go ahead and, and tell you that. We've got a list of literally, we've identified about 17 so far, and this is a work in progress. We're just a bunch of friends who just guys are comparing notes. And we've at least 17 limiting factors to raising wild turkey. Their commonality of what all six of us are doing when we don't have any turkeys. Southern vernacular, what do you hear on the street? They ain't no turkeys no more. They're gone. The NWF and NWTF doesn't have done anything. NWF and P is our department hadn't done anything. You hear this all the time. What really happens is a turkey hunter hadn't stepped up to to help himself. And so they, what we've done is each addressed our most limiting factor. We're tracking along together. Is this works? This doesn't work. I tried this. This doesn't. But this does. And we're just comparing notes. And we all of a sudden identify, hey, there's a limiting factor. My limiting factor right now, I'm in the hill section of Mississippi, and we're pretty steep, is now I've got to get into a maintenance level of prescribed burns. That's Mm -hmm. not the most limiting factor. It's going to help me. You know, I anticipate when I start that program, here's my plan. I'm going to burn every third hollow because we have we have hills or pretty steep significant hills you know my roadways are all on my ditches they're going to be permanent fire breaks i've got them all planted in clovers i mean it looks like a golf course through there most of the summertime so my fire cannot jump there i'm not going to burn because of my timber age and it's hardwood so i'm not going to burn until it's really cold in the winter but i'm going to burn this this hollow in between these two ridges and for you know our northern friends that may not understand what a holly is it's basically the the low spot the valley the depressions in the landscape and I'm going to skip two, and I'm going to burn the next one. I'm going to skip two, and I'm going to burn the next one. And that's going to—I'm going to implement that. After three years, the whole entire place will have been burned, but it's not all at one time. Now, so this is just an idea. This is my most limiting factor with where I'm at on my property right now. But I couldn't have done that if I had 40 bobcats running around. Why? Because they're going to eat anyway. Yeah. Does, does that make sense? Well, hey, yeah. that—that's a, a question definitely sparked in my mind. Can you walk me through how to catch a bobcat? Bobcats are so incredible, incredibly simple. A bobcat is not afraid. Incidentally, nor is a possum or a, a raccoon. And, and when I say, sure, you pull up there and, you know, <laughs> I've mentioned my buddy Mitt already. 
he's got to say it, and I, I repeat it. I've even claimed it as my own son, but he's got to say it. I've heard him say it 20 times. He's, he says, I will wreck my pickup to run over a coon. <laughs> so, yeah. he, he hates them that bad. So if he darts his truck over a coon, they're going to run. they not afraid of this. They are afraid of some stuff. But what I mean, you can have exposed traps. You don't have to worry about scent control. They're not worried about scent. Other species, like a coyote, coyote may eat a few turkeys, but he's not going to get the percentage-wise that anything close. To your nest, your nest predators are only a threat during nesting times. They're, you know, a, a, a turkey is safe right now in late September. A turkey is safe from a raccoon or a possum. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't, you know, suppose we can't smell, but at, at any rate, they, if they get sprayed by skunk, I don't know. I mean, I, I would think that that's not a, a big threat. But during nesting time, it is. So, so that window of opportunity to get hurt by a nest predator is relatively small. It's, it's certainly something that we, as turkey hunters and trappers, need to address. And right now is the legal time to address it for sure in most states. Know your laws before you start this trapping thing because it's also very, very important to do the trapping piece ethically and legally because you can get in a lot of trouble if you don't. Guys, make sure you check your law, your laws, your state laws, and abide by them. But back to the, um, I just I got off on a tangent because the commonality between a raccoon and a, and most of the nest predators and a bobcat is they're not a lot. Um, there are tons, tons and tons of free YouTube videos. Look up here's here's a good one. Clint Locklear, I've already mentioned him, does trapping radio. His uh, YouTube is called Wolfer Nation. I've got a YouTube um, this expand the pan. You can find all our YouTube stuff there. I got tons of. Uh, I've got a little different take on what I do. I do a little different than Clint does, but but bobcats are really, really easy to catch. They're not afraid of anything. They hunt off of visual, so you can use flagging if your state laws allow that, and a flag is literally anything from a CD like you would plug into your computer that shines in the moonlight or the sunlight. They're, they're, yes, they are. They, they operate in the daytime just like they also are nocturnal. They'll hunt 24 hours a day, particularly drawn to a particular location because the ease to uh, mobility to get through that location and his eyes. That's how he hunts with his eyes. When you get in close, yes, they absolutely will use their nose. Lures are very effective. You know, baits are very, very effective. You can do different things in different states depending on laws. And it's just easy to catch. You know, you can do this footholds. You can do this with, with cubby-type boxes. There's a lot of things we could talk about. I can go deeper in the way you'd like, but just what you, you tell me how you'd like your show to go because I feel like I've hijacked your show already, and I apologize. Yeah, but yeah Bob is, in generality, a bobcat super, super easy to catch, and he's the one species that threatens a turkey. If you got high populations of bobcats, some states don't, but in the deep south, we do. If you got high populations, he's a uh, easy one to catch and to control, literally control, and it really goes back to their genetic make their reproductive their you know cycles. They're only raising two to three kittens versus say a raccoon that may have you know four to eight in some cases, or versus a coyote that's twelve pups per year. Yeah. So I guess what is are footholds probably the most effective trap for a bobcat? The the most effective trap is what he's standing, what he catches in. You know, I mean that that's how you determine effect. I personally like the cubby box. I've got instructions on how to construct those on on my YouTube. It's basically a wooden. I don't like the plastic. I just, for whatever reason I have not seen the success with the plastic uh, uh, buckets that they use and guard them with a body grip trap. 
I like the wood. It seems like it's more effective. They're open all the way through. It's basically a square box. You can see all the way through. Now, excuse me, I do put hardware cloth on the back, so I can't get robbed from the back. I'll put my bait inside the box, usually visual. Incidentally, what I do a lot of times, if I breast my turkeys out, and, I, you know, historically, I don't know what I'm going to do now. I'm, I'm done with this sleeper slam, so I'm not traveling as much anymore. But, but um, you know, I'm taking quite a few turkeys a year, all legal. You know, but um, but I, I utilize those turkeys every way I can. As I breast my turkeys out, you've got two flabs of skin and feathers attached on either side of the breastment. You get done, right? Mm-hmm. You take your knife and literally go all the way down what the exposed meat, and you've got two two slabs of feathers, okay, skin and feathers, and they are I'm just kind of roughing probably eight to ten inches wide, probably closer to eight, and they are what they're this long. You can't see my hands; they're probably 14 to 16 inches long on an average, you know, mature gobbler. And I roll those things up and I'll toss them in, in the in the freezer. Come trapping season, time to go catch my bobcats. A lot of times that's my attractant in my box, those turkey feathers. It's just a ball of feathers there. Sometimes I put a rubber band around them. I can put, you can pretend like you're a three-year-old. You can get just crazy wild. The wilder you get, the more attractive. Some people even use beanie babies in the past. I mean, that was a big thing with trapping for a while. The wilder, crazy thing you can think of, the bola feathers, the real eccentric people would wear, whatever. Use those as flags or whatever. Anything, the craziest, most off-the-wall, weird-looking thing that doesn't look like anything else in nature, that's what attracts that cat. He is. You Have you ever heard the term curiosity killed the cat? The oh, yeah. more curious is the more apt he is to come back and check that out i like the box thing just because it's quick and easy i'm like the pan for the box so there's no wire triggers the trappers will understand what i'm saying there there's no trigger avoidance he can walk straight in and get that really weird looking thing a lot of times in my case it's a rolled up clump of recycled turkey feathers there which i love because i love the fact that i'm trying to protect my turkeys and he's going in after turkey feathers and then i smash it so i just get up yeah. i get i'm probably sick-minded but i i get i get a little yeah. Uh, yeah are you are you using flags outside the trap to draw their attention to that area absolutely and so i will select my location where my flag can so just imagine this in your mind's eye You've got a three-way intersection and all three legs intersection. So you got 150, 200 yards of, of just straight. Everybody's got this, this, this in their mind's eye. <clears throat> They've got somewhere on their lease, their farm, their whatever. You can see a long ways for, say, two of the three or all three directions. That's where I want I want him to be able to see my flag. I'm calling is what I'm doing. Visually, he's a visual hunter. You understand that. And I'm calling him. Once he gets inside that say 20 yard range then you know again check your laws please do you know don't call me for bail money because you because you didn't check your laws and you broke the law but you know if you break the law it's, it's your ticket it's your responsibility to know how to legally and ethically do this but this is what is efficient i will say this and mississippi we have to have a trapper's license and we cannot catch the governor himself we're pretty liberal on our trapping laws we do have a few more laws than even in mississippi know the laws but um, but but we're one of the more li- other states, uh, especially if some of you guys are in the Midwest or the Northeast, you're really, really handcuffed by some of these crazy liberal laws that are out there revolving trapping. So know it. I can't stress it enough. But then back to my point, I call him from 100 yards away. He sees my flag. You know, 
VHS tapes. How many folks our age have those laying around from years ago and nobody's watched them? You don't even know what's on the tape. You can strip that off, use three or four foot sections of it. Have you ever seen a V? Uh, if, if you ever roll around that on a trap line, that's the first thing. It's so unnatural. It's the first thing your eye goes to. Curiosity killed the cat. He's going to come check that out if he's never seen it before. You know, now the other thing about a, a bobcat is once his curiosity is um, satisfied, he's done with that. You got to change something. You know, hmm. If you miss him or, or he checks it out and he doesn't, you don't catch him, then try something different. And something different can literally be just moving the flag to the other side of the road, moving the trap, to, you know, to, just to the, you know, instead of this ditch bank to that ditch bank, whatever, just change something. Now you got curiosity level change. Change creates curiosity, if that makes sense. Um, so at any rate, uh, now I'll go to olfactory where I get him in a 20-yard circle. Now I want him to smell something. He's already seen something. Now all of a sudden I'm appealing to a different sense. Instead of sight to start with, visual, now I'm, I'm appealing to olfactory, smell something. And, um, you know, and then, then you go back to visual again. Now all of a sudden he's standing over my box and I construct my boxes in such a way that he's there. He's, it's easy for him to see down in the box there a little bit of a, they're not a 45, but they're a little bit of a downward angle. It makes it easy to see in there. And when he sees that ball of turkey feathers, he's just about, he can't hardly resist it. He's just about going to step in there and, and, and check it out. There's a free meal and they're opportunistic. They're absolutely opportunistic. And so that is my bobcat in a nutshell. There's other guys out there. They're really, really good. Probably a lot better trappers than I am. They've got other, other methods that they'll use. They'll construct, you know, actual sets. You can make them really, really tight. You can box a bobcat all the way in. If you're using a foothold set, you can put all kind of, he's not afraid of it. You can block him all the way in. Forget expand the pans. You can just have a regular trap and you can block him all the way. So the only way in or out, if you've got enough visual attractant, enough olfactory attractant in the back um, to, that he's going to, you're trying to catch him in between point A and point B. Point B is what he wants to put in his mouth. It's something he wants to eat and, 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 um, and have a free meal on. So your trap goes somewhere in the middle of that. So now, this is all down to a three-foot circle. You're, you know, say foot timeline zero is where he's just standing in the road. You know, timeline a foot and a half is where your trap is, and timeline three feet is where he wants to be back there. And sometimes that could even be tightened down to 18 inches or two feet from from your timeline. Yeah, you know, that's that's a pardon my, you know, my, my the timeline just popped in my head. It's probably a better descriptive word of that, but. But uh, at, at any rate, um, you can block him down where the only way he can get from the middle of the road to your attractant is through literally a two-square, two-inch opening. And you don't want to block him down where he can't get through there. You got to leave him enough room. He can, you got to encourage him to come right through. He, but you can ask him to do that with your blocking. You'll never get away with that with a coyote. I mean, because he's just he didn't he didn't fall for that. But with a bobcat or a raccoon or a possum, hey, when we're talking about trapping for turkeys. All three of those are, are, are very valuable, very valuable catches because, you know, they're different times, different life cycles. But but here again, they, they work effectively with all three of them because none of them you can block. You, you know, you're not so much worried about making everything so natural. You know, we're not even going there, but we talk about coyote trapping is entirely different. You can if you use just a little bit too much blocking. You can spook the coyote, you know, and, and he's not going to be back for a few days. So at any rate, the bobcat's just different. Easier, he's more laid back. He's, nothing really, really bothers him. And he's super, super curious. That's awesome. Cameron, I'm sure, is drawing out on his map right now where he's going to start trapping for for bobcats. And 
<laughs> he's he's on the interwebs looking at the best kind of traps and sets for him <laughs> right now. I just cut some yeah. wood to make my first box. I believe. What was that? I said I, I just got the wood to make my first box ordered so I can That's make the cubby awesome. set. Awesome, awesome. So I, I I know you were kind of joking. I I'll jump back because I had this conversation with a, another. Um, actually, uh, there's when I registered my Super Slam, I was the fifteenth registered. I, I know there's quite a few other people that have done this before and never registered theirs and all this, but um, you know, there's not a lot more. There's maybe twice that number that are completed. There, when I started this quest, there was none. But to date, there's no registered by ladies. And I actually was speaking with a friend of mine that's really really closing in tight on her it's just a handful of states left and and uh so i'm just kind of you know i've been well i've been in every state that has a turkey season you know i have been i've been in every state i've been to alaska too but obviously it's not have a open wild turkey season so and and i've also been in a couple of foreign countries and shooting them and, and different different things like that but as we were as we were comparing notes this came up and, and the reason that spurred my mind i just thought it'd be real appropriate time to, to say this how i kept up with mine as we were talking last night about where she's going this spring and and you know obviously you pick corners of states and where you can do multiple states per trip and you know just the, be the most efficient you could be but I found, and I'm actually looking at it because I'm sitting at my desk right now. Um, I've printed, I had to look, I had to Google pretty hard to find this, but I printed off a three by five index card. There's a map of the United States that had the only features were the state lines and it had the abbreviations of the states in there. And I was probably six or seven states in when I had this idea. And every year I would, I've got glass on the top of my desktop, which a lot of us do. And it stays right in, I'm sitting at my desk right now, right in front of my belly. It, 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 I mean, it's the first thing I see every day when I sit down. It reminds me of my quiz. And also, I'm looking at the states that, that are blank. And I color it in red. I just chose red. And so, uh, I, I'm looking at my map. So, and I know you said map and it was a joke, but because it came up last night and, and the thought happened to be in my mind again, that's been a really cool, when, you know, when, when I say, well, where do I want to go this year? And it's all about planning, you know. I mean, I start planning planning the next spring's hunts or did. I don't know what I'm going to do now I've done, but I started planning the next year immediately after this season is over. And so I always glance back at this map. And when you've got a visual aid like that, a map that you, you know, it's, you know, the reds you've done, the whites you hadn't, then it just, it's a really effective and efficient tool. So I just thought I'd throw that out there for whatever it's worth. That is that is good. I've I've got something similar to that going on mine as well. And, you know, I I give myself a little bit more incentive. So I do mine in green that I've mm-hmm. killed in and the states that I have been to but did not kill in, they're in red. And so All that's right, my yeah. that's my incentive to get back there and get them done. Well, one of my mentors when I was in the auction business, he told me one time I had just completed, it's been a number of years ago, I just completed Minnesota. And no, it wasn't Minnesota, it's Massachusetts, I'm sorry. And uh, he told me, and this is when, you know, the election process and all, when Trump was running, it may have been the first, when Trump was actually elected president, but he told me, he said, well, you just did something Donald Trump didn't do. I said, what do you mean? He said, you covered Ma- you colored Massachusetts in red, <laughs> so I got a kick out of that. So, if for no other reason, though, I know this is not a show. So at any rate, but uh, if no other reason, then that was a little humor in in that regard. So. Yeah, no, that's good stuff. Well, Chip, that this has been great. Cameron, do you have any other questions for him before we go? Plenty. I mean, I know you do, but do you have time to ask him any other questions? That's the big. 
Well, I have a partner in crime oh, on the recording with me now, but right. she's being pretty good at the moment, so I'm good to talk for as long as y'all want to. I guess for your other compadres of, of your, you know, guys you're comparing notes with, have they, would they be as fervently behind the trapping helps turkeys notion as you are? Absolutely. Certain persons of this six-person group, and, and it's not limited. I mean, they just happen to be buddies the way it formed. Certain people, and it just is their terrain, their their populations. Um, it could be a various and sundry different things. It boils down to this. Do they have the predator population that made trapping early on my most limiting factor? Our whole entire premise is what is the most limiting factor. So here's how to put leather on the soil for that. You walk your creek banks. If you see, you know, I'm talking about a small stream, a small creek, a small waterway, or a major river, whatever. And and if you're in, and it's a great place to look for for most things that that eat turkeys. Uh, bobcats love that as well as as raccoons, as well as possums, as well as a lot of things. And and just and count the the predators tracks. There's a ton of resources out there that if you're not familiar with how to identify animal tracks, you can research that. Google's full of it. You know, some of them are a lot better. Than just kind of just kind of use your own judgment, guys, on what you follow. But uh, but learn how to read sign. Learn you know learn this is a bobcat track versus the neighbor's dog's tracks. You know, and and you got to be. Very, very careful in what you think is trapping. We're not out there to catch the neighbor's dog at all. That's not our goal. Or the neighbor's cat, if you're that close to neighboring properties. you got to really be vigilant of this. Know what you're looking at for a track. But go visit your lease, your property, your, you know, wh- wh- whatever, your farm, and, and just go look and, and assess where you are. If, if you're seeing every single, you know, creek or, or small stream that you walk up to, and you look down, and you're seeing a highway, a, inter- a predator is going up and down. Yes, I'm going to kind of go out on a limb and say that predation may be one of your higher limiting factors. If you're not seeing any, that could be a result of a lot of different, you know, you may have just gotten through with a, a distemper episode that happens once every seven years. Just naturally, your 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 raccoons were, were wiped out. A lot of your nest predators were you know, and and you may be in an area that's not super super conducive to bobcats. They they do exist. They're out there. Then, but you also don't have any nesting habitat whatsoever. Then go in there and, and get get a crew to come in there, put a few dollars in your pocket, and clear cut three acre blocks, five of them across your place. Get thickets far your hands to be have somewhere to actually nest in because they're leaving you. You know, you might have you might have them there breeding. You also have to understand the life cycle of a turkey. They do a lot of different things. You know, most people think the life cycle of a turkey, he's either goblin or he doesn't exist the rest of the year because I'm going to a ball game. You know, mm-hmm. but but no, turkeys actually absolutely have distinct life cycles and life, life segments, okay? You know, of where they are in and in, in they're in a January to January, 12-month period of time. He's doing a lot of different things. I mean, I, I literally break that down a hundred times. You know, I will because I've traveled so much. I'll hunt turkeys entirely different. What what my my big focus is when I get on a new place in the spring is all springtime turkey hunting. But I've springtime turkey hunted in snow, and I've springtime turkey hunted at 105 degrees before, and I have springtime turkey hunted in snow in southern states, and I have springtime turkey hunted in Maine 
when it's been 105 degrees. That's no exaggeration on either one of those. But what's the turkey doing in his life cycle? Because if I understand what he's doing in his life cycle, I can create a plan in my brain to harvest if, if if I don't have a clue, then it's just you're relying on luck, you know. And and so there's some knowledge base that goes in it. So you know, I don't want to give away all the secrets, but because that takes the fun away. Part of the fun is you work really hard for a goal, and then you accomplish that goal. That's the fun, and and you learn lessons on the way. And part of the lessons I learned was how to identify the different life cycles and the nuances of what turkeys are actually doing in that time. So the very first time I set foot on a new property, I did it on the first one I did, which is Missouri, and 30 years ago this past spring in 2000, was it uh, two? You know, it was 92, I guess. And I did it this past spring in West Virginia when when I finished up in 2002. The first thing I was looking at was what are these turkeys doing in their springtime breeding cycle, which is entirely different than the management thing that we're talking about. What are they doing in the middle of the end of September right now? Because they're about to change some patterns here. Uh, I, I will go into this because it's not hurting anybody. And, and But just to make an example of what I'm, this crazy foolishness, foolishness is I'm speaking of, but a wild turkey right now, you know, we're still in clutches. We're still... In, in groups, but we're starting to starting disperse. In other words, the, the male turkeys are going to get together. Right now, they've been with mama all summer long. But these jakes are going to start getting with male groups of turkeys, and then the hens are going to be together. You know, right now, we've had just th- up through this time of the year, fall of the year can vary depending on your state, but you have three basic social groups of turkeys. Your unsuccessful hens are not allowed in the groups of hens that were successful. In other words, if a hen has one poult, she can be in the baby group, okay? Because they're all babysitting for each other and they're it's a commonality, that's what they do. The unsuccessful hens, you know, albeit no fault of her own, a raccoon ate her nest three times as she attempted to re-nest. And if, if that's your limiting factor, again, then they're not allowed in this summertime social group with the other one. And also you have gobblers, but you don't have many, you got last year's Jake, but you got gobblers shut up. Well, now you're starting to, we're about to transition again to the fall pattern. Think about the turkeys you see while you're deer hunting and that sort of thing. How many gobblers do you see with hens? I mean, yeah, you get pretty, you know, pretty warm morning after some cold weather. You'll start seeing some crazy stuff happen. But typically speaking, we're about to change the social group. Here again, we're, we're kind of in the weeds here. We're talking about some very, very specific, minute type things. But I've just been a student of wild turkeys, and 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 I love them, and it's it's I'm passionate about it, and and I go into the weeds on the stuff. So I don't want to get so far in the weeds that that I lose our listener here, but those are just some nuances of, of some different things and habitats that you learn. So I would guess my point would be whatever the species is that you want to learn, learn them and go into the weeds on them and learn what those life cycles are and what they do, because not just Turkey season, and then they're out there. So I'm a baseball game, or I'm I'm, I'm at a football game. I mean, it's, they're they're out there 365 days a year, and they're doing different things. Yeah. Absolutely, that makes that makes sense. You said one thing early on. This will probably be my last question that I have, but you were talking about how it's hard for you to catch predators now on your own property. Could you kind of walk us through like what was your catch rate early on versus where it is now, just to show that you truly did reduce predation? Yeah, and I've got all that document in the file on my computer. Um, I, I figured year. you did. You seem like a yeah. very uh, analytical person. Yeah, and, and it is. But the round number, 
we were each of the first two or so years, we were in the high twenties of bobcat harvest. There's some people that don't even have a, a bobcat season that maybe listen specifically Midwest, Illinois, and different Ohio just got one in different places and they're saying, You've caught 25, 27, 29 bobcats in a year, and we can't even trap one. I did, but that's just it's because we had them. And that's also the reason we didn't have, that we were not putting these numbers of new bolts on the ground. Um, so, but now it's gone from that till last year. I did not catch a single bobcat on the property last year. The year prior to that, I caught maybe two, maybe, and I'd have to look back at my files to see. I did. I know. I remember one specific bobcat that I caught on Christmas Eve morning. Um, not this past year, but a year ago. I don't. I did not catch a single bobcat this year. I didn't see a single bobcat track here on this R scat. You know, dropping is another. I've already said learn to resign. We just don't have many. Will I catch another one? You bet. I absolutely will catch another one. You know, we're running cameras just like everybody is, and and um, I've not seen one on the cameras this whole entire this whole entire summer. Um, will we have another one? Yeah, we will. We do. I will really target them. But you know what I do in my trapping now? Um, I shift gears, and and I will talk about. I mean, I will focus on rather what we do have and what I can be affected. You know, these cameras are a great tool that are relatively new to the landscape. I mean, I remember 15 years ago we didn't have these. We certainly didn't have cell phone cameras, you know. I mean, you know, we had the early, early models that you had to go out there and pull cards and come back and all that. You know, but um, but now we got the cell phones. If you don't even have to go check your cameras other than to change batteries, you know, you can know. There's no excuse for not knowing your predator levels today. You know, the day and time we live in now. So uh, you know, it's very, very important. And that again, that may not be your most limiting factor. And you know, I, I keep going back to that. Is your most limiting factor could be. The turkeys can't navigate through this property because it's too thick. You got to open it up. It could be your most limiting factor is exactly opposite. This property is way too open. You know, a turkey may go out there and strut for two or three hours on a spring morning, and, and you may be able to harvest in there, but it's not turkey. It's not poult rearing habitat. It's, you know, another limiting factor could be all of a sudden I do have poults on the ground. I was successful at all of that. I controlled my predators. I, I got some habitat basically right. And I don't have anything to feed these baby poults, you know. So, you know, uh, uh, that goes into the mix. This is what this is what my group of six are concentrating on. What can we do to provide food, not to harvest a wild turkey, guys, but to raise that baby poult? You know, they can't eat. You know, I can't grow corn to feed uh, uh i'm not talking about baiting i'm talking about growing you know i mean i've got four food plots per year that i plant for wild turkeys none of which are to harvest a wild turkey yeah i'm totally against using any type of grain whether it's planted or artificially broadcast to harvest wild turkey i'm really going to ruffle feathers here now learn to turkey hunt. If, if if you got a result to that take up golf you know because you're you're missing what the true sport's about you're missing the interaction between you and a wild animal you know if you, if you got to put corn out to to be able to harvest a turkey take up golf whatever i mean it's it's get it i mean you know anyway i do though understand that a baby pole needs a very very small grain all the way down to like the size of a bamboo grass seed what can we plant for for to feed baby poles there well, there's some really small grains that are really easy to grow in areas that you really want the turkeys to, the, the baby poults to be, i.e. under overhead 
uh, protection from from hawks, owls, and and uh, birds of prey because they eat a lot of them too. So you want you know, but you can grow some millets. You can grow some you know some some different type. There's a, several different varieties of experimenting with, and which one does the best on different soil types. You can feed plant something that's that's literally producing a seed head in June and in July. You know, when the baby pokes need that nutrition, you can even go even further in the week. Which one's the higher protein? Which one's the higher carbs? What are the turkeys needing at those times? It just goes on and on and on. And for a podcast, you kind of just hit the high points, but we can really, really go into detail on what's the nutritional requirements for, you know, for these baby pokes and why is our retention between the guys that, and we're about four or five years into comparing notes here, and we're really going toward, what I think we need to go toward is, you know, is we're in the weeds on this. And now we're, you know, our conversations now are, you know, the, you know, one of the guys that it wasn't me or me, it was one of the other guys brought up the idea several years ago was what are the nutritional requirements of the poles when they come out of the egg? You know, I mean, you know, they're not, they're not physically mature enough to go eat a cricket at that time or grasshopper. They're just too small. But, you know, what are they eating? What is their nutritional requirements? So we dive off into that and, you know, we go in our own different directions and we're all doing the research and we meet back together on text thread or whatever and say, hey, this is what I've uncovered. This is what I've uncovered. Well, hey, let's try that. I'm going to try that. I'll let y'all know what happens here. You know, that's just kind of the way. That's how it happens. Yeah. Well, that's, it's important. I mean, we've got to, we've got to either keep notes or have one heck of a notebook in our heads to mm-hmm. be able to, to remember all of this and keep up with it. And, you know, if you're going to be the best at, at doing something, then there's always room for improvement and making things better, whether it's our habitat or whether it's trapping. Sure. Yeah, yeah. You know, getting better at trapping uh, raccoons or possums or bobcats or whatever it happens to be that we know that we need to get rid of. And so, yeah, keeping sure. all that data is, so, is fantastic. There's just so many things that goes into it. I mean, a lot that we hadn't even touched on, how many gobblers we take off a of property. Well, it just depends on how many you got, you know, I mean, how much, you know, what species we trap, what do we plant? It's so much that goes into there. To sum it up, it's the most limiting factor. But to really sum it up, guys, until you identify what your most limiting factor is and, and you get off the couch and you go take care of that most limiting factor. We started the show out early on about you mean the super slam thing. And I had made a comment of if you never take the first step, there's no possible way to take the second. I want to close the show with the same thing. We're talking, we, the show seems like it's evolved into turkey management with some emphasis on trapping. I, you know, I would really like to not end it here, but, but make end with this comment or at least this idea is okay. Well, these guys had some real interesting points and some real interesting comments. And I'm just going to, and I'm talking to you, the listener now that, that sounded really cool. But if you don't at least take the first step and say, what is my limiting factor on growing my wild turkey population, then it's not going to get any better on its own. You're going to have to take the first step. You're going to have to do research. You're going to have to, to to see what what you can do to help you. It's not all trapping. It's not all habitat. It's not all nutrition. It's not all harvest. You know, there's a various and sundry different things out there that it can be. But the first step is to identify the problem. The second step is what can I do to 
what's my most limiting factor? What can I start? What can I do first? Identify that. Go do it. That's where we lose most people is go do it. That's my message. It doesn't matter if you're trying to shoot a turkey in every state. If you're if you're trying to shoot a turkey everywhere they live, if you're trying to grow turkeys or you're trying to grow a business or grow a family, you got to identify the most limiting factor and correct that first. Immediately when that's corrected, you identify your second most limiting factor, just now becomes your next most or most limiting factor, and you correct that and so on and so on and so on. That's the key to successful life. Very good. Chip, this has been a lot of fun. And it's been very informative, and I am positive that the listeners are going to get a ton out of this interview and phone call. So, you know, I want to thank you for taking time out and sharing your knowledge with us and your enthusiasm for trapping and for the wild turkey as well. And if any of you guys listening have a need to maybe improve your traps a little bit, then check out Expand to Pan and also join and and i know chip's gonna jump all over this but join your state trapping association and definitely join the nta the national trappers association and get involved and look we we get pulled in a million different directions you know we've all got families we've all got jobs we've all got hobbies we get pulled in a million different directions if you can't volunteer your time then hopefully you can volunteer some dollars and Either of those are acceptable donations to the National Trappers Association or your state trapping association. Get out there, just like Chip said, go do it, make it happen. Take step one. Absolutely, so, Chip. Thank you, guys. It's been, a, it's been a blast. You, Cameron, and Andy. I had I had absolute fun. Thank you so much for asking me to do this. I had fun. And to the listeners, it's been great hanging out with you guys for a little while too. If I can ever help anybody, I'm pretty easy to find. Um, and, you know, you, you've heard how to find me with different websites, all that. If, if, if I can help anybody, feel free to let me know. And no, I'm not letting you come turkey on my place. <laughs> but, 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 <laughs> that was my closing question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Hey, I'll come turkey on with you on your place. Yeah, we'll, we'll do that. How's that? Come on. I need <laughs> somebody to show me how to do it. Thank you. Yeah. I gotta, I gotta get this baby a bottle and in the bed. But I really appreciate all the information. Thank you. All right. Thanks. Thank you. Goodbye. That was awesome. Yeah, that was that was a really good interview. I and learned thanks. something. Well, I learned a lot of stuff. But well, what what is the something you were about to say? I learned that I don't think auctioneers are made. I think they're born auctioneers. <laughs> He's a pretty fast talking, dude. <laughs> He's about the fastest talking southerner that we've that we've had <laughs> on the show. And we didn't do the rapid fire Q and A with him. Yeah. Oh, that's true. I didn't think about that. A super Man. slammer too. Yeah. Maybe we need to call back and let and do the rapid fire Q and A with him and then put that on next week's show. Yeah. Yeah, we, we could try to do that. Try to line it up. And thanks to Bill Duke for the email who suggested Chip to us. I thought yes. when he sent it, it said Super Slam, told us about his trapping background, I was like, I'm in. Yeah, no doubt. And we did get two recommendations that i know of maybe did we get i think we may have gotten one more mm-hmm. for from you guys for potential guests about trapping and we will be getting them on future episodes so don't yes. fret that um, we're not done covering trapping no it's an extensive topic yes and yeah. 
I think we've covered it pretty good for this series purpose. And next week we'll get to share our opinions about trapping and I'll have some data to share from a small sample size that I've got going here. Hopefully a sample size that will grow tomorrow morning. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So, but the trap line's been hot this week. I wanted it out this week specifically with the big cold front that was kind of kind of set in for the week, and it, it has paid off, I believe. Yeah. So Well, with this new piece of property that I leased, I've got a spot pretty close that I can trap. So Heck yeah. Go wear them out. That'll be, that'll be fun. Yeah. So, cool. What do you think about a favor for the week? You got one up your sleeve? Hey, I'm going to make it simple. We're wrapping up a series on trapping. If you don't own any yet, buy a couple traps. If you don't want to use dog proofs, buy a live trap. Make it a goal this year to, you know, something attainable. Hey, I'm going to go trap for a week and try to catch some coons or possums and, and just make that a goal for your season this year. I, I think everybody pitching in, you know, Chip talked about if we had one guy every 20-something miles, that's true, but if everybody for that whole 20 miles pitched in a little bit, it should make it a lot easier on the one guy. <laughs> so get out there. If you don't own any yet, get you some traps. And after we go over trapping next week, we're going to have an episode on another option that you could take if trapping is just if you're anti-trap. Some people are, even hunters, but we're going to give you another option to where you have no excuse not to kill every coon on earth. So, how about that? Yeah, that's one I'm definitely looking forward to. That's going to be pretty cool. Yeah, no doubt. So, I think that's yeah. going to be real entertaining and, and an interesting topic. But as for next week, it's going to be pretty boring because it's just me and you. So, Well, it'll be mostly you. <laughs> yeah, well, hey, you. I got my start trapping with you <laughs> uh, when I was interning for the mortgage business for college credit. So. <laughs> I think it's safe to let the cat out of the bag now, don't you? I don't think they can take that credit away from <laughs> no, you for interning. They can't. I'm, so I'm your out. First, your first job duty of the day was to go check the trap line. Yeah. That's pretty that's sweet. It. That's a good gig if you can get it, man. Yeah. I'm back to my roots. That's, that's my first role every day. Exercise and go check the trap line. That's how I'm starting my mornings. It's pretty nice. See, for you guys out there who are wondering if mentoring a college student is worthwhile, I'm going to say yes, because the habits that I taught Cameron when he was interning for me while he was in college, he's still carrying on, carrying through today. And I have a feeling one day Cameron's going to have an intern and he will pass that knowledge <laughs> along to his intern. And so yeah. I'm just going to say, pay it forward man yeah forward. absolutely then people meet me and they're like what did andy do to that guy but you know it, <laughs> i'm just messing it, it is a very true thing and i'm thankful <laughs> thankful for that opportunity that i had so but Good but yeah time. guys favor of the week get you a trap just one if that's all you can do get one check it for a week and you'll probably catch two or three predators just yeah do something do something absolutely do something I'm, I'm going to throw another favor out there, and I'll probably repeat it next week as well. Join the NTA. Yeah. Period. All right. You want to wrap it up? Let's wrap it up. Thank you guys so much for tuning in this week. We know that you have choices. We appreciate you spending your time with us. We hope you have a wonderful week, and we look forward to seeing you again next week. Goodbye. Goodbye. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to the Turkey Hunter podcast. 
If you enjoyed the show, please go on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. And make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe for free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews to help you have a more successful turkey season. And stay tuned for upcoming episodes on hunting afternoon birds, how to film your hunt, and the breeding cycle of hens, as well as some guest interviews. Thanks again for listening. We know your time is valuable, and we appreciate you sharing some of it with us. See you next week.